You know, it's uh, in the family of God, when one of us is hurting, the rest of us hurt as well. So I just want to say a quick prayer for the guys here and just anybody else as well. Let's just do that. Father, make us the family that you've wanted us to be, Lord. And we all sustain loss. We all have illnesses. We have times in life when things don't go right. I just pray for our family here that we could be one that gathers around each of us and builds one another up and helps to comfort. Lord, that we would be a congregation that knows how to do that or is at least willing to learn how to do that better. Lord, we just pray for Zach and Cameron and the boys and what they're going through right now and just ask that you lend uh, your hand of comfort to them and any other unnamed folks. God, we just, uh, we're grateful to be able to hand them over to you and put them in your hands and let you guide and let you comfort. And Lord, I pray that we could be your hands and feet in that. In your name we pray, amen. Children's Church can go ahead and be dismissed. How many of y'all have uh, been up to the top of Everest? <laughs> Nobody? Gosh, it's backmasting Everest? Nothing. You people, nothing. What do you do for fun? I don't get it. It's kind of a crazy place up there. Uh, I've never been there, of course, but I've researched it. There are hundreds of dead people up at the top of that mountain. I don't know if you knew that. And so there becomes uh, this thing that people have talked about called the ethics of Everest. Why don't we get the dead people down from Everest and give them a rightful burial or or whatever we're supposed to do? Well, it's just not that easy. Uh, Once you get up to 20,000 feet, it becomes very hard for a human body to work normally. Once you get up to 26,000 feet, it's what is known as the death zone. And the top of Everest is even further yet at 29,000 feet. And so to even help somebody move at that height, even a couple steps, is an astronomical task. And you yourself have oxygen tanks on, and just you yourself are hoping that your body works correctly and that you have enough oxygen for you to get up to the top and get down. It's no small thing. There's one guy that sits up there just off the trail. He, his name is Green Boots because of the, the green of his boots. And everybody knows that he's there. And his body doesn't dis- decompose because it's frozen. He looks like a person that's just sleeping there. And everybody that goes up on the trail walks right past him and then right past him on the way down. And they don't do anything about a dead man laying right there. There's one guy, David Sharp, uh, that died up there. Of all the people that came down and talked with him, there were 40 people that walked past him, going up, going down, while he sat there dying. A couple of people stopped for a second, let him breathe some of their oxygen, but then went on their way either to the top or on down to just leave him there. And they did. They left him there. He died. The ethics of Everest. Wow. If there's somebody dying, do you just walk past? Well, if we could, we could talk to many of the people who did make the effort to help people and died themselves. 
So you would say, if you can help, you ought to help, right? But what if it means yourself, putting yourself on the line? We talk about Everest. All of a sudden, we talk about, ooh, life's so important, right? Life is so important. How can we just let somebody there just walk past them and die? Well, because my life's important too. Ethics. What do you do? If you should, if you could do something, you should. We might say the same thing about God. If God could do something, he should, right? We would certainly all agree God's powerful enough to do something in our life. Maybe he doesn't care. Or maybe he cares, but he's just not quite powerful enough. Maybe some of us believe that way, if we're honest. Job wanted to believe that God was in control and that he cared. Really, he wanted God to be a comforter. I don't know, guys, when the the kids wake up in the middle of the night and they're sick, they come into your room, which side of the bed do they go to? You're that good of a comforter, guys? (laughs) They're going to the other side of the bed, aren't they? Well, here's what Job writes. This is actually God talking in Job. But who provides food for the raven when its youngs cry out to to God and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down, they bring forth their young, their labor pains are ended. And then their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and they do not return. What a process. God's just saying, I'm in control of it all. How about you, Job? Do you know when all that happens? Are you there to caretake? I am. Do you know that an eagle has eyesight four times sharper than you and I? And an eagle also has dual focus vision. What that means is you and I can look forward and focus on something in front of us, and we can kind of see something out of our periphery, but an eagle at the same time can focus that way four times further than you and I, but also can focus on these things out here four times further than you and I, all at the same time. It's pretty incredible. That's an eagle. We haven't even started talking about how wonderful you are. Maybe we forget. So maybe we could learn a lesson from a little safari through God's creation. Job tells us that. Chapter 12, he says, But ask the animals, and they will teach you. The birds of the air, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. Or let the fish of the sea inform you. This is God rhetorically speaking to Job. Basically, he's telling Job, hey, there's a lot of things that you've forgotten or that you lost sight of. Ask the animals, they'll reteach you, or the earth. They got a lot to say about this kind of stuff. When's the last time you saw a woodpecker? Heard a woodpecker. A woodpecker hammers on that tree at 15 times a second. Its head is moving twice the speed of a bullet. 
And it should theoretically kill itself at that speed while it's doing that. And it wouldn't, or it would, if it weren't for a specifically designed shock absorber that it has between its brain and its beak. And engineers have taken a look at this, and they cannot make it, remake it, or match it. And so we just watch a woodpecker do its thing like it's nothing. I want you to take one second and think of the last time you saw a woodpecker pecking on a tree. Or if you just heard it in the, in the distance. And I want you just to hear or re-see that machine gun style that that little bird is allowed to do on that tree because of the way God made it. Just think for a second. Remind yourself. Or we could ask the honeybee. A honeybee goes out and it finds pollen and it flies back to the hive and somehow, through a dance, it communicates to the rest of the honeybees where the pollen is. So it does this dance. I don't know exactly what it does. I only know the robot, so I don't think I... That's not it, I know, but... Listen to this. The honeybee does a dance in circles in the hive. And by that dance, it tells the other bees the distance to the pollen, as well as, <laughs> as, well as the way in which the angle cuts across in relation to the sun. A honeybee. We could ask the honeybee about this. Isn't that incredible? Or we could ask the housefly. You know, it's pretty hard to swat them, right? I can do it pretty well. It's like one of my gifts. I can get them. But you could ask the housefly because the housefly moves at what would be for us the equivalent of 1,000 miles per hour. You can look this up. The wings of a housefly flap 200 to 400 times a second. This is... Incredible on its own, but it's a mystery to scientists because the wings aren't even attached to muscles. How does it do this? It's incredible because the more we understand the mechanical design of an insect's wing, the more and more and more that beautiful design appears, and it's just a housefly. We could ask the housefly, beautiful. Or you could ask the wolf. As you probably know, wolves hunt in packs. And uh, as you know, wolves frequent the mountains. So they're hunting in the mountains. And they communicate in their packs by their howl, right? Which could get pretty difficult when you're howling in the mountains. And the howl gets distorted or whatever, and it would be hard for them to communicate. Uh, that would be hard for them to communicate unless you know this. <laughs> the howl of a wolf doesn't echo. God's beautiful design. You could ask the wolf. I just think that's pretty cool. And we haven't even started talking about you yet. Water spiders. In its web, it creates an air sac... The air sac obviously has air in it, and when it goes underwater, it brings the little air sac with it, and it has its own <laughs> underwater air tank. 
so that it can stay underwater for as long as it wants to. Makes its own oxygen tank. Pigeons. Pigeons are able to travel thousands of miles without getting off course. There's some other birds that are, you could say the same thing, like the Arctic tern can fly 25,000 miles from one destination to another without getting off course. Next to, or essentially in, a pigeon's skull, we have located a tiny place of tissue one millimeter in thickness, and scientists have looked into that tissue with an electron microscope, and they revealed in that tissue 10 million tiny crystals that are each four times as long as they are wide. Tests on those crystals demonstrated that those crystals are magnetite, which is the iron-oxygen compound that we use to make compasses and that are oriented to the magnetic field of our Earth. And we haven't even started talking about you yet. You like the safari or no? It's fun? It's more than fun, it's incredible. How about the giraffe? The heart of a giraffe is about twice as powerful as any other animal. The obvious reason is that it takes a lot to get that blood up that neck to the brain, right? Well, what about when a giraffe bends down to eat something lower? To prevent all of the blood from rushing down that neck and literally probably exploding the brain of the giraffe, the neck of a giraffe is filled with little compartments and valves so that the blood doesn't rush down. Made by God that way to regulate the flow of its blood. You've probably heard this one. I wasn't reading too long ago that a helicopter manufacturer used the dragonfly as a model. They took 200 computer renderings of a dragonfly, and that's what they used to build their helicopter or design their helicopter. Here's a little interesting stat about reindeer. There's no other animal that eats moss as much as a reindeer. We didn't really know why or why they were so prone to that. But then we found out that there's a chemical in the moss that keeps the bodies of reindeer warm. Only their bodies react to that chemical in that way. So you could go through all of the animal kingdom and we repeatedly see God's great design. Beautifully designed, each and every animal. I'm just thinking I forgot about the bombardier beetle. You know that one? It shoots out of its rump acid. Acid, literally acid that you and I manufacture, (laughs) that we make in a laboratory. That's what it does. I'm going to read Job again. Ask the animals and they will teach you. The birds of the air and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will teach you. Or let the fish of the sea inform you. Maybe of what we have forgotten. And the rest of the verse says this. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. I hope it gives us a little different perspective. Job, at the beginning of his book, didn't have any needs. He had everything. He had wealth. He had a wonderful family. All of those things. But he still honored God. He didn't forget about God. But there really wasn't a contingency plan because there was plenty of money, plenty of livestock, plenty of resources. 
But then, as you know, the book, it all got taken away. And so God, after Job says, I just want to talk to God. I just want to ask him about this. I just want to say, why? Why? What did I do? And so God replies eventually back to Job and says, I want you to brace yourself like a man, Job. I'm going to question you and you're going to answer. And God goes off on kind of a little bit of a, a mild tirade in which he cites all of the animals and all of creation and how immense and immaculate and wonderfully designed it all is. And so then we see Job, after all of that, it's worthy of your read, by the way, the last few chapters, 38 on on to the end of the book, Job says this, My ears had heard of you before, but now my eyes have seen you. Job got the picture. And friend, it's important for you today to get the picture. Because if we lose the picture of you and I, me, created by God, then all of the rest of life's picture becomes distorted and we're not going to be able to go through it right. When something happens to you and I, like, like Job, we start to question, we start to wonder, and we don't, we don't go through it well and all of those things. And, and it's, it's difficult to go through loss and it's difficult to go through those things But I think that when we begin to see that God has created us, has a plan for us, and it's full of love, when those things happen to us, we might be able to gain a different perspective in that God wants us or is constantly kind of trying to retrack us to see that we need him. I think it's good. Maybe what we really need is need. And and while that might not be very much fun, We really need to need God. So, God, can you use us as a force to shape culture? Can you use us as a shining light of love? Can this be the place where children are raised to be powerful warriors for you? God, can you use us to begin a revival in this area? We need to need God. There's a bird, maybe you've, maybe you've heard of it, probably not. It's called the golden plover. It has one of the longest known migratory routes. Over 25,000 miles it migrates every year. Of those 25,000 miles, 2,400 of those miles are over the ocean where it can't stop to eat anything or drink anything. 88 hours is nonstop flight where its wings beat 250,000 times to get over that 2,400 miles of ocean. Now, scientists have studied this and they de- determined that the golden plover could never make it. And they see that it does make it, but on paper, it can't. You see, they've taken in the body size, the body weight, the expenditure of energy, they've taken all of those things together and they've calculated that the plover should only be able to make it 80% of that 2,400 miles and that it should fall then into the sea. But it does. It makes it. 
you were designed to make it through 80% of life. The other 10, the other 20% ain't fun stuff. But God can see you through because he cares. He is a comforter. And he is in control. The book of Job tells us that. God asks Job, Do you know the way of the lightning bolt? Do they report to you and say, Here we are? I remember as a kid, we used to count. Once you saw the lightning, one, two, three, it tells you how far away, how many miles away. I don't know if there's any science to that or not. But I do know that when I see that lightning bolt and the thunder comes right away, I can feel that it was close. Do you know that lightning is just static electricity times a million? You ever tried to control static electricity? Do you ever see static electricity coming? You can feel it. But God says, you know what? The lightning bolts report to me. (laughs) I know every one of them. We really need to get back to needing God. To say, God, I know I'm not in control of 20%. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I need you just to get me through that extra 20%. I need you. And so that's faith. I hope that as we looked at these animals, and that as you go home today and can just look in your mirror, you'll be ready to take the faith of that 20% with a new viewpoint of yourself. I think sometimes when God up there, having created us, and then having redeemed us, and then seeing that you and I don't step out in faith or trust him as much as we should, I think he just might start looking at his watch every once in a while and get a little bored. Moms, dads, you've given birth to your sons and your daughters. And what do you want them to do? You want them to grow up. You want them to try stuff. You want them to tackle life, don't you? This is where God is with you. Created us, has a plan for us. He is ready to go with you and I. Why then do we hold back? Well, let's look to the animals. They can teach us. Let's look to the earth. It can reshape our thinking so that maybe we are ready to go with full trust in the great comforter who is in perfect control. A fresh perspective. Just like it says in Job, in his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. So we've heard some pretty impressive stories about animals, but how about you now? You know what the Bible says. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. What does that mean? What does it mean for you? We've taken a cool look at some of these animals and what's really cool about them. But here's you, created by God via your parents. I don't know how anybody can believe. That's a little pointed. But how does that happen by random chance? And let's make it even doubly hard. How does random evolution produce a man 
And then correspondingly so, that same random evolution produces clear over here a woman. But it just so happens that those two can come together in a very unique way, produce a third on the inside, give birth to it, and then that randomly created woman can then nurse and feed that third person? Folks, the propaganda is absolutely absurd. Are we buying? Are we believing it? Or maybe you're just a little bit neutral. Neutral's not good when we have this potential at our fingertips. You, by these truths, can radically transform the way you think about yourself. The animals can teach us. The earth can retell us and reshape our thinking. There's got to be some initiative on your part. So a little challenge today, same one from last week. Today, decide to decide to fully believe that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Second challenge, don't settle Boy, you got something cool right here on your fingertips. There's a lot for you to unearth right here and figure out and put to work and find God's plan for you. You are awesome. In 1965, in the little town of Baird, Iowa, there were 11, 10, 11, and 12-year-old boys that were playing in an empty lot. And they had a club called the Space Cadets. And on the one side of this lot, they had their clubhouse. And over here on the other side of the lot, they had their spaceship. Okay, this was the 60s, all right? Go to the moon, right? On this particular day in 65, they were digging in the dirt from the clubhouse to the spaceship because they wanted to make a pathway from the clubhouse to the spaceship. Of course, right? While they're digging, they hit some old tin cans that had been buried continue to dig and they continue to find a bunch of tin cans and they got them all dug up and on the inside of the tin cans they found a bunch of money a bunch of old money civil war era money all the way up to the to the early 1900s the first thing they did all of them was to go home and tell mom and dad right so within a day words all around the town of Baird and word traveled very quickly There's a picture of the fellas right there. Word traveled quickly around town and around state, and even the New York Times called one of the dads of the kids to get the scoop on all of this. There was going to be a lot of money involved in this because it was not only valuable, but old, and there would be collector's items. So they tried to find next of kin of the person who owned the empty lot. Well, she was long gone, so they went to her husband who was, had died way before her and they found in his will that he wanted a lot of his proceeds when he died to be given to the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army found out about this treasure and they swooped in. <laughs> Those good folks at the Salvation Army swooped in to say, this is ours. So it goes to the courts And the Salvation Army agrees, finally, in the end, to give 50% to the boys. And so they had an auction, which got published all over the country. 
And so on the day of that auction, over 800 people, twice the population of Baird, came to the town for the auction. And all said and done, in 1968, the boys had to wait three years for it to come to a head. After all of it was said and done, each boy got a check for 468 bucks. That's not a whole lot of money. But which one of you dads, moms, would write a check for 468 bucks for your little 10-year-old boy to find truly buried treasure? The joy of that little boy's heart. You are buried treasure. And your dad wants you to find yourself and unearth yourself and get a crystal clear picture of who you are, how wonderful you are, and how awesome you are. I want to come up with the song of invitation here, but let's just think here for a little bit, guys. This one fact alone, that God has created you, well, let's just couple it with the fact that he's redeemed you as well. And we see a loving God. These facts alone, as we look at all the animal facts that we've talked about, and how much higher we are than the animals themselves. And, you know, some of those animals that I mentioned and some of the animals that you have in your homes, I have heard them called soulish animals because there's a, there's a level of there of recognition of friendship and, and humanity and those sorts of things. But still, they are still not even made in the image of God like you and me. We are so much higher than even the soulish animals. Oh, how we have forgotten who we are. What a shame. I don't want to bother you anymore. But you know that you have a full frontal attack on your perception of yourself from our society, from the enemy of our soul, from school teachers, from professors. So it's good for us just to spend a couple minutes and retract because I think we need it. The facts of God's creation and the fact that he sustains you and I and the facts that you and I can see, that we can hear, that we can touch, that we can have intimacy, that we can breathe, that we can reproduce. All of those are mechanical and biological facts, impressive on their own, but you are made in the image of God and are just plain awesome. Those facts are sturdy ammunition against the depression that you might feel today. Those simple, awesome facts are the calm to the anxiety that you might struggle with. He's a comforter, he's in control. There are also some motivation for you to take the initiative to break the chains and the habits that you might have. Good motivation. 
inspiration that you might need today. But most of all, and this might be the only thing you need to hear today, these facts are all you need for you to like yourself again. For you to love yourself again. For you to unearth the treasure that you are. Let's pray. Great creator and loving God of heaven. First of all, Lord, help us this week to put our trust in you, that you are in control, but that you are also perfectly willing to comfort. Let us put our trust in you, God, that when on paper we only have 80%, that you're going to carry us the rest, get us to 100 safely. Lord, let us launch out. Let's have some fun, some adventure, knowing, God, that you got us. Lord, bring us out and deliver us from the doldrums that our life might be. And let us again embrace and understand the adventure that you have provided for us. Lord, we're grateful for the breath of life that you've breathed into us. Lord, most of all, we are grateful that as great as life is, that your son set it aside, set his aside for us. We are grateful, Father. We are impressed by your creation, Lord, but I pray that you will help us spiritually discern what those facts and those truths mean to us and that they will move us and transform us. In your name we pray, amen. This song that we're going to sing just asks the question, are you at the end of yourself? Are you at the 80%? That might be your case today. It's an invitation to come to the altar, whether it's for prayer or something you're struggling with. But anyway, as we sing this song, just know that God will get you to the 100%, that you're not going to crash and burn. In fact, exactly the opposite. God's in control. He's ready to comfort, and he's ready to build you back up.